Hello everyone and welcome to a very special edition of the Association NBA Podcast. My name is Sam Ruther, joining me as he does every week is Tommy Wood. And this week, Tommy and I are going to be going over our choices for the midseason awards of, I guess, the end of season awards. But we're going to make some choices here at the midseason just because we can't. So, uh, Tommy, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. It's just, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about this year is it felt like half of these awards were completely obvious to me, but there are three or four that I just labored over for a really long time, and that I still don't really feel great about my choices. Uh, it's, I think it's been an interesting year in that way. Yep. It's, uh, it's funny. They're, uh... I, I was thinking back as I was looking over these to the first few weeks of the season. In particular, the one that stood out to me is the first one we're going to talk about, MVP. Um, Giannis came out guns blazing and made, uh-huh. made clear that he was ready to enter the top tier of players in the NBA. And everyone was like, oh, it's over. Giannis, MVP, it's done. It's, he's got it. He's done. Um, and that was just funny to me because... I feel like every year there's a certain reaction to that award in particular. Um, yeah. Somebody like, has a hot start. Rosen started out the season scoring like 30 points per game the other year. They're shooting, you know, an absurd percentage from mid-range, stuff like that. And it's just like, you kind of need to give MVP a couple, couple months. Because... Yeah. I mean, yeah, Giannis is now clearly a top-tier player. But um, to just dive right into it on my end, I think there's no question that the, the player who's emerged as, as the MVP candidate is James Harden. I think he's in a tier by himself. I mean, he's leading one of the two best teams in the NBA. And what's really important is he's moved the Rockets up into that top echelon of the NBA. Of course, he's had Chris Paul there to help, but Chris Paul's been hurt a lot of the time. And Harden... That a little bit injury himself, but with that said, still has shown that he, for the past three years really when you think about it, has been one of the top three or four players in the NBA, and he has not taken any steps back. In fact, he's taken some steps forward, and I think that's why he's clearly the best player uh, in the league this season, and that's why he's my MVP, because he dominates the floor every time he's on it, and he's the best player on one of the top two teams. And uh, there is no clear best player on the top team in the NBA. So it goes by default to him. And he's made it count every single second he's been on the court. Uh, how about you? What do you think about the MVP race? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's Harden, and it's, it's not even close. I mean, it's insane. You know, he leads the league in points per game uh, on 62, 62% true shooting. Um, he assists on 45% of his team's baskets. I mean, he's averaging nine assists a game second in the league. Um, he leads the league in free throws made and attempted, and threes made and attempted. This is the craziest one. I mean, he leads the league in usage and PER. Like that, it, it's absurd how good of a season James Harden is having. I think that's really not even a discussion. Um, I think maybe the, the more I've seen what Harden has done this year, uh, the more I've actually started to look at Westbrook's MVP last year in a little bit of a negative light. I didn't think he should have won at the time. Um, 
I think it's going to be like, uh, you know, like when Crash won the, be the Best Picture Oscar over Brokeback Mountain, and now everyone looks back on that and, and, and realizes how terrible a decision it was. I think it's going to be like that in a couple of years with Westbrook winning the MVP over Harden and, uh, and Kawhi. Um, I think we should be talking about James Harden as a potential back-to-back uh, -back MVP at this point. Um, but to me, I think he's – it wouldn't surprise me if he wins it unanimously this year. Um, like you mentioned Giannis and how awesome he is. I think statistically he's, he's up there, but his team is sixth in, in the East, and that's, that's just not good enough. I think the MVP has to have a lot of team success, and that's why, you know, given the uh, – the nightmare the Cavs were having before the trade deadline. That's why I can't really consider LeBron at this point either. Um, and they're the only other people who are in Harden's range statistically. Yep, it's uh, they are his competition, and they're not putting up a very good fight. You're absolutely right. Giannis's team is still trying to figure out how they can get home court, and the Cavs were an absolute wreck. Um, until they reshuffled half the roster. LeBron, yeah. there's already too many clips of LeBron not giving a shit for him to have a legitimate MVP game. There's yeah. too many times when he was on the court and he was like, fuck, do I really care anymore? Like, <laughs> so it's done. Um, Harden just, I mean, you mentioned it, like, both in the free throws attempted and made and three points attempted and made, like, to be near the top of the league in all those categories at the same time is nuts. He not only thrived in his, you know, first full year with D'Antoni last year, but has been able to develop that and take a step forward. And he's just so good, and he's so good yeah. in so many ways. He's, he passes the eye test when you just watch him play. You're like, wow, James Harden is crazy good. He's clearly dominating this game. When you take a look at just the stats and you're not watching him play basketball, but just looking at his numbers, you're like, wow, he is clearly a game changer from the statistical standpoint. And yes. it shows from a team-wide perspective because the Rockets are in a good place. There are no yeah, bad storylines about the Rockets. They have the best record in the league. I mean, yeah. And, and the, the other thing that impresses me about Harden is his durability. I know he missed some games uh, this year, but mm -hmm. historically he's been not only an incredibly uh, healthy player, but he plays such heavy minutes every single night. He's averaging just shy of 36 minutes a game this year. Um, and just to produce at the level he does and the efficiency he does what, with the uh, burden he's carrying in terms of minutes and in terms of carrying his team on his back, I think it's it's spectacular. It is uh, it's a lot, um, especially coming off last year when he did the same thing and he burned out. And coming into this year, they're... they're They've made clear. It's not a secret. Literally, there are quotes in the public about, like, no, we need James in the playoffs. We are keeping him for the playoffs. Like, we're trying to maintain more. And even with that said, he's still, like you said, plays 36 minutes and putting up crazy numbers and, and clearly getting yeah, his all when he's on the floor. That, and then they, uh, they play him in the fourth quarter of a blowout over the Charlotte Hornets so he can get 50. Yeah, because <laughs> at the end of the day, it, I mean, but, we know that – they took it very personal when he did not win last year, and it's very important to the Houston Rockets that he win it this year, and he's running away with it, and even though we look at the All-Star break as the midseason point, it's a little past the midseason point, and he's got a very comfortable lead, 
barring knock on every piece of wood in the area, uh, a season ending injury of something of that nature. I mean, I think oh, it, yeah. it's his a lose, you know? It is. And with that said, I mean, that's, we spent some time on it, but it's probably the most boring category we got because everything yeah, after that, it's probably a little more up in the air. So the next one I want to go to is one that, uh, people take different angles on every year. So, so it's always a little bit of a surprise whoever wins it, although. From year to year, you can kind of take a good shot at it. But Coach of the Year, I, I want to let you start with this one. So what do you think about for Coach of the Year? So this is the one that I agonized over the most, I, I would say. Yeah. And to me, there are three. There's an obvious top three. But sorting them out was, was really hard. To me, the obvious top three is uh, Brad Stevens, Eric Popovich, Dwayne Casey. And I wrestled over those three names for a long time. Um, and in the end, I'm going with Dwayne Casey as my coach of the year so far. Um, just, they're first in the East, they have a top 10 offense and defense, but beyond that, what he did to change his team, like stylistically and, and tactically, and from a culture perspective, in one short offseason, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, they completely reinvented their offense, they passed the ball more, they, sh- they shoot more threes. Um, DeMarco Rosen was completely involved into another type of offensive player that he's become the DeMarco Rosen everyone always wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with how he kind of reinvented themselves when they were dead. Um, you know, PSPN predicted the Raptors to finish sixth in the East, and now they're leading it at the All-Star break. Um, I think for him to pull that off in one offseason, uh, not only is a veteran coach, but with a veteran team, uh, with veteran leaders like like Ibaka and Lowry and DeRozan, uh, I, that's so impressive to me. Um, you know, and then I really like his rotations too. Um, he's got Lowry down to 32 minutes a game after two straight seasons of playing 37. Um, I know you mentioned uh, you like Jonas or you like the way Jonas has been playing it at, at times this season. And I think I credit that to Casey. I think he puts him in and kind of emphasizes him. Um, when you can, knowing that Jonas, for defensive reasons, might not play later in the game. Um, their bench is, is fantastic. It's a lot of young players. Uh, they're all 25 and, uh, and younger, and only one of them, Dr. Pirtle, is a lot of them. So he's taking these guys who are not really heralded players uh, and turning them into, into young contributors uh, on a bench. Um, and I, I think every, pretty much everything they're doing this season is just a credit to how good of a coach he is. Um, that's a really long-winded answer, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got to go with Casey, who was, uh, so who's yours? Wasn't that long-winded in terms of, uh, the Association NBA podcast, you and just fine. We, uh, we're here to be long-winded. I, I like a lot of what you're saying. Um, uh, yeah, I stand by JV again a minute to the end of the day. The throwback center who can get it done. Efficiently enough, needs a place in the NBA, and if you got the skills, why not throw them out there? But I've got Casey second. Um, Casey second. Another guy you mentioned, Greg Popovich, I've got third, and someone I've got first is a name you didn't mention, and that is the head coach of the Houston Rockets, Mike D'Antoni. Wow. Interesting. Mike D'Antoni. Yes. I think that uh, it all centers around the Chris Paul trade. They moved off some significant pieces in that trade, and they brought back Chris Paul. And then after the first game of the season, he didn't play for a while. And despite that, they got along just fine. And when he came back, they got on just fine. 
Uh, we already mentioned plenty in the MVP discussion how hard to take a step forward, but I also think Chris Paul's playing great. I also think that the team overall is just playing great. Even integrating guys like Gerald Green. I mean, they're just making it happen. They, as we already mentioned, have the best record in the NBA. I think they're on pace. Uh, I don't think I know, and everybody knows they're on pace to have either the one or the two seed in the West and to be a legitimate contender for the NBA Finals. And when so many teams these days are just punting and just saying, we're not doing it, we're going to wait it out, we're going to see what happens with Golden State in 2019 or 2020 or whenever where they have to decide about Draymond and Clay. Houston said, screw it, we're going. Uh, and Dan County said, I'm right there with you. And he took this roster and has made the absolute best out of it. And uh, I just love it. I love this team. I'm so excited to see him in the playoffs. I'm so excited to watch him the rest of the way. It's really fun to watch Chris Paul and James Harden play together. And I wasn't sure I was going to say that. When the trade happened, I had some serious questions about how they work together. And I still don't exactly get it, but it works. Uh, it just does. Um, and that's all credit to Mike D'Antoni. So he's my coach of the year. Yeah, that's... It's interesting because I, I didn't really consider D'Antoni um, mostly because he won last year. Um, and I, I was, uh, you know, maybe looking for guys who outperformed my expectations this year. Um, but everything you said about D'Antoni is true. I mean, the way he's integrated Chris Paul into the Rockets system um, and really got him to play more like a Rocket than like the Chris Paul we had come to know and uh, I don't want to say love. <laughs> but Tolerate. We come to know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think that is a, a good credit to him. Um, I'm curious what you think about Pop, because I also had him number two. And I want to know what propelled uh, D'Antoni over Popovich in your eyes. So, at the end of the day, it became ceiling for me. Um, in terms of floor, I think Pop wins, because the floor of the San Antonio team without Kawhi should have been way lower. For him to just take whatever he had and make, I mean, saying making the most of it almost feels like it's not enough. Like, making more of it than you could ever imagine. I mean, getting LaMarcus to a next level when the guy wanted out a mere couple months ago. Um, you know, getting so much out of Patty Mills and Danny Green and whoever else, you know. Um, Pop just, it's uh, the bias of just consistently always being one of the best and always being the coach of one of the best teams in the league that keeps him consistently, I feel like, at number two and number three for everyone. Like, everybody knows he's one of the best coaches in the league. Everybody knows he's probably the best coach in the league if you just took an abstract look at coaches without the players under them or the situations around them. Um, so he's my number three. I had Casey number two, like I said earlier, because... I was right there with you on most of your Raptors arguments. I, I am so pumped to see them not blow it up and keep them together and make it work. Um, but yeah, Pop, yeah. it's really cool for me. Um, what about you? I'm sure some of it's the same, but is there anything else I miss about what, what Pop's done? Yeah, well, for, for me, it was really hard for me to pick the Casey over him. Um, what's impressive to me about what Popovich has done this year and so everyone talks about Kawhi Leonard only playing nine games, and just on top of that, you know, lose, losing probably the third best player in the league last year uh, before the season even starts, 
is is bad enough. Um, but not a lot of attention is paid to the other injuries they've had. Danny Green has missed 11 games. Rudy Gay has missed 25, and he's still out. Uh, Tony Parker missed 27. Uh, they've been probably affected by injuries more than, uh, you know, by, by nagging injuries throughout the roster more than any other uh, playoff team. Uh, and, you know, to, to have that third in the West, despite that, it's really impressive to have him with the second uh, second best defense in the league while starting to call us all in all the six games this year. That's insanely impressive. Uh, but then, like you said, uh, I think about their ceiling, and they're third in the West, uh, but they're 10 games out of first, and they're only three and a half games out of nine. Um, and, you know, when I, when I, when I think about coaching here, I, I look for a coach uh, who has, like, a sound process, uh, but also can, can defy expectations. And for me, all three of the guys I've mentioned, and, and, and uh, Dan Tony as well, they all fit into that. Uh, but to me, Dwayne Casey defied my expectations more than any other coach. I'm, I'm curious if Stevens wasn't, wasn't in the top three, um, but the Celtics have uh, really slipped lately, and that's that's why he, he was a third for, third for me. And I think he has the most talent. I, I would take uh, Horford and Irving over you know, any two players on, on the Raptors or the Spurs. So that, that's, that's how I arrived at that higher end. Yeah, and and that was a big part of, of why like, he's my fourth. Don't get me wrong. Brad Stevens is my number four. Um, but Irving and Horford's a strong foundation. They both missed a few games here and there, but they've been fairly there for much of the season. Overcoming the Hayward thing in game one was huge. And I'm, I'm yeah. sure at the end of the season it will get him plenty of votes for them to have gone on that crazy streak right after he gets hurt. Um He's made the most out of Jalen Brown. He's made the most, you know, if you look at it more than just this year as a multi-season thing, he's gotten Terry Rozier to where he is today as a, as a significant player off the bench for the Celtics. Um, Marcus Smart's been hurt for a few weeks now, but Smart's also a significant contributor as well. If you look at all those pieces, um, that all points back to Stevens. And at this point, Stevens has been in the league long enough where more than those guys, you can point at the guys who aren't on the roster anymore and look at how they contributed when they were on the team. And the, yes. main, the main case point for that is Evan Turner, um, but also yeah. Jay Crowder, how Jay Crowder took such a turn for the worst in Cleveland and now back in Utah. We talked about it last time. Uh, hopefully back in the system, it'll help him more. Uh, back with the coach who's going to pay more personal attention to him and try to make sure he's in a role that fits him with Quinn Snyder. But, yeah. Um, so with Stevens, as much as, as this year, like they were really impressive in that first quarter out of the gate, uh, they really flattered it a big way uh, leading into the All-Star break. Um, and, and to me, too, their offense has been so inconsistent all year. Yes. Uh, and that, and, you know, that's, that's held them back, and that holds Stevens back in my eyes, too. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more because they still bring it defensively, but offensively, as creative as he can be with end of half, end of game, out of timeout plays. Uh, on the whole, offensively, he kind of needs a spark plug like Isaiah, like Kyrie, yeah. uh, to, to move pieces around. Um, yeah. Thankfully, the Celts have that in Kyrie, one of the ultimate, just pure offensive talents in the league. But uh, So yeah, that, that holds me back with Stevens, the fact that they had number one 
in a really good spot, and they gave it up to the Raptors. Uh, losing down for me, but that's a lot of coach talk. We can we can move on to some uh, some ones that begin to get a little more abstract. One that's still pretty uh, not too abstract, but 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 a little harder to define is the one I want to go to next. That's defensive player of the year. Uh, you went first last time, so I'll go first this time. <sighs> Dude, this this shit's hard. Um, it is. This was, this was really difficult. For me, I felt strongest about Rudy Gobert. So he's my guy. Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I think he's cool. he, he's the complete anchor in Utah. I think that everything they do successfully on defense starts with him. Um, it's tough and it's weird because they're not in the playoffs right now, but also they could be in the playoffs by the time the end of the year hits. They are on an 11 game win streak and above 500 and within a game or two of the eight spot. But, uh, I just think when he's been able to play, um, he's just makes such a difference on, on defense, uh, unquestionably, I think. And, I'm hoping that health sticks with him and he'll be there by the end of the year and, and, and he's my guy. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, he has a really uh, really strong case. I mean, he has been an absolute terror when he's been healthy um, this year. I this is hard for me. Um, it's interesting to think about availability in the context of defensive player of the year because uh, I don't think it, it matters as much. Um, you know, if it's one we're talking about, you know, MVP or uh, rookie of the year or something like that, I think you have to consider availability. But for, for defensive player of the year, I, I think you consider more just the impact they have when they're on the court. Um, and I know I don't hold the injuries against someone as much as I, I normally might. Um, that being said, I don't. I, I didn't have Gobert. I for me, it came down to Al Horford and uh, Joel Embiid. I was going to go with Andre Robertson, um, but now that he's out for the season, you can't. Uh, he was my number one, but um, it came down to Horford and Embiid. Um, Horford's the anchor of the best defense in the league. Um, you know, he enables them to, to switch pretty much one through five. Uh, he's a very versatile defender. He's a very smart defender. He doesn't put up a lot of blocks and steals, um, but I think he unlocks everything that makes the Celtics defense so great. Um, but like we just talked about, the Celtics are slipping. Uh, they have a 109.3 defensive rating in February. That's really not good. Um, and I'm looking at B. Um, and he's who, I, he's, he's who I ended up going with. I think, uh, I think the impact he has when he's on the court, um, it's just, it, he is such an intimidating presence. Um, he's, again, he has, he has the instincts and, and he has the smarts. He's just, you know, still, uh, learning the game, he's still young. Uh, but his, his instincts are good. He doesn't make dumb mistakes. Uh, and to have the combination of, of intelligence and mobility and athleticism that he does is so rare. Um, the Sixers have a 99.5 defensive rating, which is on the board. Um, and a 107.105.7 when he sits. Um, so to me, that, 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 uh, speaks really big for him. Um, that and, you know, the fact that the Sixers are uh, hanging on in the playoffs, uh, really pretty much because of him. And uh, I think his, his, what he does on defense, uh, yeah, they have the number four defense in the league, and I think he is pretty much the only reason he's there. 
yeah, I mean, sound arguments all around. And, and to be fair, Horford was my number two. I really, uh, their recent slide has, has pushed a lot of Celtic guys in a lot of categories yeah. down. Maybe it's the fact that I literally I live in Boston. Like my area code is straight up Boston, Massachusetts. So it's around me all the time and I hear all the negativity. But um, no question, Horford is the center of everything Boston does successfully on defense. It all stems from him. It all stems from he plays just, just fundamentally sound and correct and intense defense. And uh-huh. it is contagious. Um so no doubt he's my number two, and if the Celts can can get back to the winning ways that we saw earlier this season, uh, maybe he he pops back up over Gobert. We'll see what Utah does with this eleven game winning streak. If they can keep riding that, and they can hang on in the playoffs and keep showing some defensive intensity, and he can stay healthy, hopefully. Uh, I've heard a lot of, about him being like you mentioned. Um, I love it. I'm glad it's part of his game. I I still want him to prove it for a whole season, and I want to see. Uh, you know, I just want him to impress me a little more. I yeah. Actually, uh, if I had to go that far, I would have had him fourth. For me, third uh, was Paul George. Paul George, okay. Yeah. Um, and and like you mentioned, Robertson, um, I think it probably helped that he played with Robertson on the wing for a lot of the season. Uh, even without Robertson, I have liked how Oklahoma City has maintained some defensive integrity, so to speak. And I think Paul George is taking on the toughest assignments for them and also has a very tough role to play in lineups often with Westbrook who just isn't the best defender and Melo who doesn't give a shit uh, it helps having Steven Adams Steven Adams is someone who, who like you mentioned with Embiid you, you would be afraid of so to speak and definitely like we mentioned with Gobert but uh, I think Paul George takes on those tough assignments and really Proves his worth as much as he does on the other side of the ball. So he he was my yeah. guy there. Um, That's interesting. We'll see though. Yeah, you're, as, as much as I love what Robertson does, I think you're right that George was already having a really good defensive season before Robertson went down. He's really stepped up his game um, since since that happened. And I think if he maintains this level of defense um, for the rest of the season, in my eyes, he, he could definitely play his way into a top two or even a uh, winner. Uh, if, he, if he keeps it up. Did you uh, consider Kevin Durant at all for like one, one second? I saw the, uh, the article on the ringer, I believe, by John Gonzalez, and it, it put forth a fairly compelling argument. But no, Golden State to overall total offense is, is just in, in opponent points allowed, 22nd in the league. For me, that alone, it's like, all right, you got to do something real good for me. I know they score a lot of points as well. But um, you have to be a defense that teams are afraid of. And I think Durant certainly, like George, takes on big assignments and plays pretty well man-to-man. But uh, you have to be an anchor of a defense that actually is elite. Uh, I think Golden State can be elite in crunch time, but overall I don't think defense is important enough for them, for any of them to merit winning that award, as opposed to, what was it, last year the Draymond won, and they were a very frightening defensive team. I just don't see it as much this year. What about you, though? Yeah, I, I didn't either. I mean, I think the case for him really comes down to uh, you know, the fact that he's blocking so many shots. Uh, but he's also uh, he's seventh on the team with defensive rating. <laughs> uh, 
I know, I know that there's a lot of noise there, but, but still, that, that doesn't look good. Um, and, and as many shots as blocks, I don't think he's really a deterrent at the rim. I think a lot of his shots are, are kind of, uh, you know, he comes over from the weak side and, and swats somebody. Um, you know, when he just tries to challenge somebody at the rim straight up, he gets, he gets gnashed on like, uh, like Larry Nance did to him. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think he's just kind of too, he's too skinny to be an effective, uh, you know, rim protector, uh, you know, actually meeting over and, and rotating over and challenging shots. He, he's a really good, I mean, he's a good defender, he's a smart defender, um, you know, he's good at defending on the perimeter too, uh, but, yeah, to me, he wasn't, uh, like, a serious case. For sure. So, Durant aside, I feel like, uh, we, we did get a pretty good base over the where we're standing with Defensive Player of the Year, and we still got a few more to go. So I'm gonna bounce to one next that uh, I feel like some years gets a little nebulous. Some years there's I don't know some some past bias or voter fatigue, or this one gets a little weird. But this is the Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, I'll let you dive into this, and then I'll follow up with my thoughts. Uh, sixth man of the year at the midway point. What do you see, Tommy? I've got Lou Williams. Uh, again, it's it's pretty much him and no one else in my eyes. And uh, just the way he kept the Clippers afloat uh, when Blake Griffin was hurt, um, and just the way he's been playing even since Blake came back. Um, he's just yeah, he's been he's been far and away um, the sixth the sixth man of the year. And he's only, uh, you know, he's the only candidate who's had a Drake song written about him. So that helps <laughs> him a lot in my eyes as well. There's, there's not too much to say here. I, I gave it a pretty big intro, but, uh, yeah, Lou Will's running away with it. There's still a lot of season to be played. The only other person that came to mind for me that was worth discussing was I, I do, Enjoy Eric Gordon. Uh, he started less than half the games he's played this year, but he has started almost half the games he's played this year. So would he even be in consideration? Who knows? But I, I, I honestly, it's just a good chance for me to talk about how I'm so glad Eric Gordon's been healthy the last couple of years in Houston and playing his tip-top basketball. Uh, I'm right there with you. Lou Will is yeah. is the Clippers guy. Uh, he was a borderline all-star candidate. And, he was, yeah. And the reason they're at where they're at right now is him, no doubt, especially with, with such a seismic shift as uh, Blake Gordon, or Blake Gordon, Blake Griffin, leaving the team. Uh, Lou Will's yeah. been there for him. So, so yeah. Uh, anyone else even worth worth bringing up or that you thought about? Because that was literally it for me. Yeah, no, that, that was it. Uh, you know, Tyreek Ty played good. But yep. We're playing well, but he started a lot of game, uh, games too, and the Grizzlies are, are terrible, so he doesn't really get serious consideration in my eyes. Uh, you know, it's one thing for rookie of the year, but pretty much for any other, uh, category, if your team sucks, you're disqualified. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You have to be a sixth man on a team where the sixth man matters. It cannot be a nebulous position, so. Yes. We still got some stuff to go through, so that's good enough for me. Uh, on to an especially difficult one to nail down. Most improved player of the year. Um, I let you take the last one, so I'm going to take this one. 
this goes off my assumption that the MVP race stays as we discussed it earlier. So mine is is Giannis. Um, already, right. already he was quite good last year, but I, I think even with that, he, like I said earlier, stepped into truly the top tier of the NBA, the top five to seven players in the league. Uh, showed himself as a true franchise cornerstone that you build a team around. So, to me, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo without question. I will mention my two and three because I think they're both interesting cases for different reasons than Giannis. My second one's actually uh, Dinwiddie, who we've already spent plenty of time talking about, uh, okay. even before he really exploded onto the league and last night won the NBA Skills Challenge. We are recording this on February 18, 2018, after the All-Star Game, in which Team LeBron came out victorious, but last night, Dinwiddie took the NBA Skill Challenge. Uh, my number three is actually Jalen Brown. Uh, the hometown bias finally comes out, but I think he took a step forward. He's shown a more complete offensive game than he had last year. Uh, his defensive tenacity has taken a step forward, even though it was already there to a certain degree last year. And he's someone who uh, I don't think just people in Boston, but people anywhere who pay enough attention to the NBA realize is a guy who's going to be a starter and a contributor and a solid player in the NBA for a long time to come. So that's my top three. Uh, what do you think about most improved? That's interesting because my, uh, I, I went the obvious route. That was the guy who wasn't even in the top three, which is uh, Victor Oladipo. Damn. Um, All right. Yeah. I just, to, to me, it was, it, it, it was another one I didn't really consider. Uh, just didn't consider. You know, I, I know that his, his three-point shooting has fallen off uh, lately, but he's still, uh, you know, increased his scoring, he's increased his efficiency, he's become a better passer, a better finisher, um, and he's pretty much the sole reason, in my eyes, that the Indian Pacers are going to get left. And, you know, when, when I consider that, um, some of these other guys, you know, is, is a really interesting case, you know, you're kind of, it's like at the beginning of the year when someone asked him if uh, he could win MVP, and he said he's going to win MVP and most improved. <laughs> I mean, he certainly uh, he certainly has a case. Um, and again, if, if Milwaukee were better than uh, than, than sixth, uh, you know, I, I, I would give it to him. Um, I know Milwaukee is doing better. Is I think better than Indiana right now. Um, but Oladipo's leap has been. Larger and again, it's a, it was more unexpected than than the Yonks's. So to me, those uh, and actually the Pacers are uh, half a game ahead of the Bucks right now. Uh, they're fifth in the Western sixth in the East. But yeah, I would I would go with the Bucks for those reasons. Well, to to that I argue that that Sabonis has taken a bigger step forward than uh, young Kevin Garnett, Thon Maker. So Giannis is less to work with. <laughs> KG. <laughs> no, I uh, I honestly just blanked on Oladipo. That's an excellent guy to bring up, um, and I'd I'd honestly leapfrog him and put him right second next after Giannis. Uh, yeah, Giannis still it, it just impresses me, and I'll stand by it. But I I take Oladipo over to Woody or Brown. Um, and he went from a ten day guy to a guy you want on your on your team. Yeah, I look at Dinwiddie like for him, it's it's not about improvement for me as much as it, as it is opportunity. I think he was he was this good, um, you know, maybe maybe not since coming from 
week, but but the past year maybe, uh, and, and I think he's just finally getting to show it. Um, yeah, with Brad, I like to know with Evo, a guy who's been pretty much a starter since day one and has played in heavy minutes, um, you know, every year in the league, and it really has shown flashes, um, but have never indicated he could be uh, this this consistently good. Um, so that that's still got a lot to me as well. But I, I do like the idea of him in there because he certainly has uh, he surprised a ton of people. Yeah, the the consistency for Oladipo is a big deal. That's um, something that some NBA players never really get to, and they just end up being microwave guys, guys you can plug yeah. in for 10 to 15 minutes, game and hope for the best. So it's cool to see for him. It's cool to see for Dinwiddie becoming a guy who's definitely got a future in the league. Um, and it's cool to see Giannis become someone who, who should be an MVP candidate for several years to come. Um, so I got more ground to cover, so the next one we're going to bounce to is Rookie of the Year, which has been so fun to look forward to in the preseason and to watch unfold over the past few months because just a uh, uh, bottomless well of, of spectacular candidacies, Markel Fultz aside. Um, I took the last one. Did you hear he was shooting with different sized balls? Yes. I mean, they're doing shooting how is that going to build up his confidence? Like, you're so broken, we need to give you like, a candy-sized basketball. Like, you think that's not going to fuck up his motion even more? Like, oh my Let, let me spoil, spoil this for you. I did not. I thought Brian Colangelo was my executive here. <laughs> really? Because, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, dude, I, I, uh, that feels terrible for Markel Fultz. I wish he was my number one. Or I wish he was my number two beside behind Jason Tatum. Who's not my number one, by the way. He's not my number one. But um He's number one in your heart. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever they do with Markel Fultz, if it ends with him getting his jump shot back, then I'm cool with it. But I'm not sure this is the road. But uh uh, how about for rookies who actually can shoot basketballs? Who, who, uh, who are you looking at for rookie of the year right now? This is another difficult one for me. Yep. Uh, I, man, I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell. Okay. No, I just, you know, I get that his team is, is still not in the playoffs, um, and I hate myself for doing this because it's, you know, it looks like recency bias, but it's, it's not recency bias. He's just, He's been so good all year, and every second I watch him play on the court, I uh, wish the Nuggets hadn't traded away, traded away that pick, and that they just taken the guy. Um, you know, he's leading his team in scoring uh, on 54% true shooting, which is kind of right around average, but for a rookie guard, that's that's insane. And he's shooting 35% from three, uh, 29% usage, and only uh, 12% turnover. You know, he's been a really efficient player, um, and his defense is nasty, uh, and I think if he can lead the team to the playoffs, that makes him a lock, uh, because, uh, you know, a rookie who leads a team this good and this kind of devoid of other options uh, in scoring, it, it's really impressive to me, and, and the way he's able to score effectively while sharing the court with uh, some pretty offensively challenged, or certainly spacing challenged uh, players. 
that's a, that, that says a lot to me. Uh, who did you end up going with? So I I bucked the recency bias and went Simmons, who All right. was the pick up until this Utah streak. And for me, I think things will even out after Utah loses a game or two. And people are going to take a few deep breaths and start to see the light as Simmons continues on the tear he's been on thus far this season. As a 6'10 point guard, it continues to blow my mind at the age of 21 how Ben Simmons has just been completely ready for the speed of the NBA game and how he's been able to lead Philadelphia to this 30-25 and record they're currently sitting at. Of course, he's got his beat as well. But I just think Simmons is the leader. He is the only guy who's started 54 games for that team. Um, the only other person who's started close is Bob Covington, who's started 53 and played in 53. Um, he just does it all. The kid can score. The kid assists play. The kid can, can clean the glass. Um, he just already looks comfortable. He already looks like an extremely above average NBA player and a future all-star for many years to come. And I think even more than Embiid being extremely impressive and scary on both sides of the ball, having Simmons at the center of it on both ends of the floor, I think has been the catalyst for Philadelphia to finally go from a team with interesting pieces to a team that, that has foundation. So. That, for me, puts Simmons over Mitchell, but Mitchell is a clear and extremely close number two, and Donovan Mitchell could potentially be a better pro than Ben Simmons because he's that explosive and that athletic and that offensively talented at an extremely inexperienced and young point in his NBA career. So it's a tough choice. It's basically a coin flip. Uh, I'm glad we went both ways so we can give the argument for each guy. Uh, for me, it's still Simmons. He's already almost got the record for triple doubles as a rookie. Uh, he's one away yeah. from, from, from time magic, and he'll certainly hit that and surpass it. Uh, I don't know. Where, where, where are you at with Simmons? You know, yeah, he was, he was easily my number two. Um, and it was, it was hard for me to Mitchell because, you know, when Simmons is, I think box score numbers are much, much more impressive. Um, and, his passing vision is, is far superior to Mitchell. I mean, he's a really uh, kind of like parallel passer that we've seen in the last uh, decade plus uh, at his age, uh, at least especially with his size. Um, and, and yeah, that, that, that's great. And another thing is like metrics like box plus minus and win shares favor Simmons heavily. Um, there are a couple, a couple things that set uh, Mitchell apart for me is that he turns the ball over so much less than Simmons. Um, yes, higher usage and a lower turnover rate. Um, that that kind of uh, was a differentiator for me. And then it's just it's really hard for me to get past Ben Simmons shooting. Um, and it's weird because I think he might be a better player than Mitchell right now. I'm certainly going forward. But me, what Mitchell's doing is a little more impressive because he can generate and make shots that Simmons can't. And uh, Simmons. You know, he's been able to, to have a, a relatively efficient season just, just getting to the rim. Uh, but he's owned 10 on threes this year. Uh, he shoots 57% from the free throw line. Uh, and I just wonder that you know, if it comes to a playoff series, 
it hasn't seemed to protect him much so far for the Raiders. Will he be able to score against playoff defense in crunch time uh, with the way they can defend him because of his lack of shooting? Whereas, whereas Mitchell, uh, his game is perfectly suited for moments like that. Uh, but it was a hard choice. No, man, I, I, I hear you. It's it's valid. Um, as the other person, I'm supposed to fight you on that, but to be honest, Simmons has played 1,885 minutes and turned the ball over 200 times, roughly once every 10 minutes he turns it over. And yeah, he's over 10 on threes. And if he's, if he, you know, he's listed as a point guard, if he's really going to be a guard in today's NBA, he's got to have a three-point range that, if not scares people, at least deters people. So, um, yeah, and he's got to be unhackable too. Um, yeah, you know, for even if I, I'd be happy if he would like start with the mid range at first. Like, I, I want him to be able to just hit some kind of jumper. And, and with his size, if he had proper form, if he shot with the wrong with the right fucking hand, he he would be able to get his shot off, uh, his jump shot off over pretty much anyone who was guarding him just, just because of how big and long he is. Um, so I, you know, I think if he ever got, gets his form right, uh, you know, gets, gets a consistent jumper, it could be a pretty deadly weapon. But, uh, the fact that he doesn't have it right now, uh, and, and you know, it's, it, it, it sounds like nitpicking, but he's so good. You know, you have, you have to pick a this, and, and he is, um, you know, this is a massive hole in the game, and it's a credit to him that he's been able to be so good despite it. For sure. It's, uh, I mean, it's exciting for both of the guys. They both have such great foundations to build on, and <laughs> yeah, in spite of Simmons' clear flaws, the, the guy's already explosive and scary when your team's playing against him, and, uh, He's already one of the big boys in the NBA, you know? He's already somebody who, when your team's played against him, you're like, all right, let's see what Ben Simmons brings to the table tonight. So, yeah. Uh, exciting, nonetheless. It's cool to have some Rookie of the Year candidates who, who you know are actually going to have legit careers as opposed to MCW. Um, or even Brogdon. Uh, no offense to Brogdon. He's, he'll have an NBA career, but it, it's just different. It's just different. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we don't have to insult anybody else, though. We'll move on to the, la the last legit one before we get to some fun ones. It's Executive of the Year. Uh, I'll let you leave this off, and then I'll come in and I'll tell you you're stupid for whatever you said. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I, I got Trader Danny on this one. Uh, and it was, it was, uh, you know, it was hard to, like, top three ended up being Ainge. Uh, Daryl Morey and uh, Masai Ujiri and uh, it was hard not to pick Morey because of all the cap gymnastics he had to pull away from his ball. I thought that was a genius um, but for Ainge to remake all the four players on his roster in a season um, to steal Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder and the Nets pick um that, that was a, a good old-fashioned highway robbery, um, you know, to, to get a player of Kyrie's caliber, really, for guys who are not self-execution plans. Um, you know, the trade the trade down to get Tatum looks great in hindsight, even though, you know, maybe if Markel had, had gone into 
things are going on in, in Philadelphia, he would turn out better. But that trade looks really good for Danny right now. And then signing Gordon Hayward in free agency, uh, you know, he pretty much aced every move he made. And he turned a team that was good, but that vastly overachieved, and that was really not set up for sustained success, into one that is. Um, and I, I think he gets a ton of credit for that. You know, he, he it was kind of an, he's really good at, at these, uh, like absurd remakings of his team that he seems to pull like once a decade. Uh, but this one, this one was, was pretty impressive. I, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even know why, but I, I did put Daryl Morey over. Danny Ainge. I had I had Maury first, Ainge second, and Masai third. Um, you just put forth such a compelling argument that I'm I'm doubting myself, but I I will present the argument that I at least prepared mentally, which is that uh, I thought the Chris Paul trade was was killer. Um, I thought that whatever they had to do behind closed doors and in open doors to make that trade happen. Uh, to get all the contracts elsewhere, to send them over, to get the cap space ready, like you mentioned in passing. Uh, that was absolute brilliance and something that we haven't really seen in the NBA to the level that Daryl did it before. Uh, so that was just cool as like a salary cap nerd and just as someone who, who likes watching general managers do crazy shit. That was impressive. Um, and it wasn't just impressive in the way as like, Oh, Sam got an extra second round pick for Philly. It was impressive in a way like, oh, Daryl ended up with Chris Paul. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, he's just been able to yeah. put the pieces together. Uh, I was worried a couple years ago when the Harden and Howard thing ran dry. It was like, oh well, this was Daryl's shot and he blew it. But uh, no, Daryl didn't just have one shot. Daryl's ready to roll with the punches. And he's gonna keep reloading the Rockets roster, whatever comes his way. And he's done it this year, and it just impressed me to no end. And that's why I've got Rockets all over the place on my midseason awards because they're the top team in the NBA right now in a season that we thought the Warriors were gonna run away with. And I have serious doubts about whether it's a clear path to the finals for Golden State or whether Houston is a huge roadblock in their way and can't wait to see them in the Western Conference Finals. With that yeah. said, just to just to end my rambling, uh, dude, you're right. I mean, the, the Kyrie trade was nuts. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, like at the time, all the quotes from Danny are like, it's one of the hardest phone calls I ever had to make. Like letting Isaiah know he got traded. No, it wasn't. <laughs> if it was or if it wasn't, I mean, I think it genuinely was. Like Isaiah meant so much to Boston last year, and playing after his sister died, playing through the injury. I just got. Yeah, hey, Isaiah, I guess he's on the Celtics now. Kyrie. Oh, by the way, you're traded. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, dude, he, he's a ruthless negotiator, and he does what is best for the Boston Celtics, and this is the result. He traded away Paul Pierce, traded away Kevin Garnett. He uh -huh. didn't offer Ray Allen a good enough contract for him to re-sign, although many have said that Ray Allen was leaving regardless. He traded away Rondo. He traded away Perkins. He traded away Isaiah. Freaking Thomas. Tony Allen. Or did Tony Allen walk in uh, I don't remember anymore. I want to say Tony Allen walked, though. Um, 
trade out, trade Al Jefferson. He did, which is okay yeah. in my book, but he yeah, no has no sympathy. If 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 at the end of the day, it's going to help his team. No, and uh, everything you said about Morgan, right? I mean, his uh, you know, like that that move he made was maybe the ballsiest move of the off season. You know what he said that he had to up his risk profile. Yep. Yeah, it's a literal yeah. quote. Yeah, certainly did that. Um, the one, the one thing that kind of pushed into number two, in my eyes, and and again, this this is the nittiest of, of nitpicking, but in trading for Chris Paul, he traded away all most of their depth and all of their talented young players, uh, really all their young player period. Um, guys like uh, Montrez Harrell, who has been playing pretty well for the Clippers this season, Sam Decker, who. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I once heard Rory compare him to Harrison Barnes on uh, the low post, and I don't know if he's quite that good, but I've always thought he could be a productive player. He's really athletic, he can shoot it. Um, trading away guys like that, um, and obviously you do it in a heartbeat to get Chris Paul because he could win the title this season. You know, like, make that trade every time. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it may not be the most uh, sustainable um, just because they've. You know, now, now they're going to have to replenish back into their roster with, you know, with young players, and that takes time, and, and that, uh, you know, you can draft the wrong guys, or, you know, there are a million ways that can go wrong, and they traded away pretty much all that they had uh, at the time. So that's that, that's that's the one thing that helped Corey back for me. I hear you, man. I, I have been keeping an eye on Harold, for sure. He keeps popping yeah. up as someone who, in the minutes the Clippers give him, has seriously impressed. Um, I remember him kind of slipping through the cracks in that draft and thinking whoever gets him is going to make the most. And when he landed on Houston, I was excited then because I was like, all right, Daryl's the guy who would take a chance on a guy like this. Um, with that said, though, I mean, it's Chris Paul. Uh, it's a risk yeah. I would have taken. I think it's a risk exactly. you would have taken, but I think the points you make are valid. So, uh We'll see. I, uh, I'm cool with trading Danny. I, <laughs> I think the Celts look pretty good, so I'm not going to fight you too hard. And I also think Toronto looks pretty good, and of course they hold the one spot in the East. you got to respect that. Uh, Masai was willing to reload instead of reset, and it's paying dividends for him, for now at least. We'll see what happens in the playoffs, if Larry and DeRozan can finally hit some shots and the lights are on. But uh, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, we'll close out with some fun ones. Um, these are a couple that you and I brainstormed. We wanted to do some some kind of out of the box mid season awards, so we went way out of the box. Um, the first one is the worst roster move that has been made thus far in the twenty seventeen twenty eighteen season. Um, let's see, you went you went last, right? So I'll I'll go first on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's hear it. I've got a couple just straight up the top. The first one for me, I, I, I've already bitched about, but, but waving Giorgio's Papa Giannis is, just makes me furious. Whatever, whatever Sacramento wants to do with that roster spot is not worth it. Just keep the kid you took 13th and give him a chance to, to become whatever you thought he was going to become when you drafted him at 13th. You already put so much capital into him. Why don't you just continue to I mean, I guess I'm not there. I guess I'm not. Maybe he's smoking a pack of cigarettes behind the gym or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the kid's doing, but 
waving Georgios Papagiannis was a stupid-ass rush move for me. But in an extremely close second for me was the Cleveland Cavaliers' decision to sign Derrick Rose. Which I guess goes beyond... I don't give a fuck where it goes beyond. Signing Derrick Rose was idiotic, and it was stupid, and then he's on the team, and he sucks, and then he's like, I gotta spend the time away from the team. I don't know why. I don't know why he just gets the freaking hall pass to do it either, but they gave it to him. Uh, only, only to trade him Utah so he can be waived. Uh, I guess it worked out in the edge because they got back Ronnie Hood, but uh, that one was dumb for me. Those are my top two with a bullet. Uh, go ahead and take the mic. Yeah, those are horrible, and mine is the one you mentioned is, is waving your Papiannis. I mean, the, the 13th overall pick, not, not even two seasons into his career. Not only that, they, they picked up his third year option before they waived him. You know, if like they. They could have, if they'd have thought ahead, they would have either known that they were going to do that and, and just declined his option. You know, before maybe they didn't think that far ahead. It's so, it's so baffling. It's, it's like they're just throwing shit at a wall. Um, you know, and to give up on a guy that quickly after spending pretty substantial draft capital on him, um, it's, it's infuriating. It's, it's it, it, it yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't want. I don't get too bummed out. We'll move on. We'll move on. But uh, that's our yeah. first one. Where's Rasha move? <laughs> We're unanimous. You already probably honest. Um, next is most likely to be stretched. So that's most likely contract that a team will decide to use the stretch provision on, rather than continuing to keep the player on the roster. They will waive him with the stretch provision. Who you got, Tom? This was a tricky one because a lot of the contracts that, well, a lot of these really horrible contracts are uh, all from the 2016 offseason, so they they all go for two more years. So any team that stretches a player would have to uh, pay him for five years. Uh, so I was I was looking at teams that are you know kind of kind of bloated and and will need the cap room. Uh, going forward, but uh, we'll still have a, a hell of a bullet to bite. Um, you know, one guy who came to mind for me was Myers Leonard, who's owed $21 million over the next two years, and who doesn't play a lick. Um, I think teams are going to have to decide which is more valuable to them. Uh, you know, saving, a first, saving the first round pick or the young player, the asset you have to attach to get rid of one of these guys' contracts in a trade. Or sacrificing uh, a small portion of your cap over the next, uh, you know, half half decade, which that's that's not an easy ask either. Um, you know, that's why some of the more prominent names out there, like Ruol Deng, Joe Kim Noah, I don't I don't think they'll get traded, um, especially since, well, especially the Knicks, they don't have they're not going to have uh, the need to use cap space to, to get better because they're they're, they're garbage, um, but. Yeah, I think a team like uh, like Portland, uh, Myers Leonard, or even um, you know even Yama hit me. I mean, he he really has not has not been playing well. Uh, might try to get rid of him in a trade too, but you have to attach an asset, and I think teams are not going going to be willing to do that. I think that Mahindi Mahindi would blow my mind. I. 
think that the Witcher still believe he's going to, in some way, shape, or form, be worth the money they paid him. Um, yeah. Just, just one thing quickly. You know, this is this is why uh, stretching is is so odious to a lot of teams. Uh, <laughs> the Pistons are paying Josh Smith five point three million a year through twenty twenty. Oh. oh my god. He was on the Pistons so long ago. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah, That's I can really try to play three centers at once. So bad. I, I honestly had a tough time with this as well. I, I like the way you went with it more than me. Because I, I went Joachim Noah. The, oh. the, the reason I talked myself into it, and I didn't, I like his, his at it and it, the, the, how much he, well, I guess his captain won't be that bad because it's Detroit provision, but how much money the Knicks will pay him will be as bad as how much the Detroit will pay Josh Smith. But I think the Knicks could convince themselves that stretching Joe Kim Noah opens up the space they need to alter the franchise's history. Because that's that's basically why they signed Joe Kim Noah. They decided that that cap space could alter the franchise's history by filling it with Joe Kim's Noah's overly tax injury prone odd life decision body. And here we are. And now by getting rid of that, by stretching it, they think they will find the next whatever they need to be relevant. And that will be wrong too. And that will be a bummer. And then Chris Gass, Porzingis will be a Celtic oh, for like three second round picks, and it'll be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you can make a compelling argument, and, and it makes sense just in that his contract is so bad. It's, uh, you know, uh, get, uh, Nick Duncan calls it a, a Noah trade clause on his contract, <laughs> the no trade clause on himself. Um, <laughs> you know, you're right, I can see this going with I can see, see that happening. I can see the Knicks like sell side to sell low on on Porzingis and, and, and trading him away to, to get off of those money. I can see them doing something uh, just completely imbecilic. Um, you're right, though. They could absolutely convince themselves that, that stretching Joe Kim Noah is the way to go, and, and they could end up paying him through through through, through uh, 2025 or 20, 2024. That would be, you know, great, great next. You know, they really, they really should just trade for things that they're not going to be good during this prime. They've already screwed themselves over by uh, signing Tim Hardaway Jr. through 2021 at 18 mil a year. Um, you know, the way they've tied up their cap, it's just, it's, it's horrible. You know, they, 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 they're hamstrung. They, they have, other than the lottery pick they're going to get this year, they really, you know, don't have the, the flexibility to improve. Uh, God. It is depressing that already, I mean, not necessarily Porzingis' prime, but definitely through the end of his rookie deal, they're already hamstrung in the cap for sure. So they already are going to have to move heaven and earth to put together a good enough roster and enough flexibility to convince him to not just become an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, do you try, do you trust him to do that? No. Absolutely not. 
said nothing, but they won't. So they won't. maybe maybe Mark Cuban will meet Chris Porzingis in a club with his favorite Instagram model, and he'll just be like, Chris Dabbs, sign on the dotted line, baby. You're coming to Dallas. Okay, so Drexler is in his side. Rolling through the very last ones here. We do have one that I'm eager to, to, to pop into, and that would be best haircut. Um, for me, to be honest, best haircut's been, been pretty, pretty unanimous in here with the, with the voices in my head for a couple of years now. And that's been my man, newly to the Phoenix Suns, Alfred Payton. Uh, he's just going for it. And, and the, the guy just doesn't give a shit, and neither do I. Um, it's his identity, and I love it, and it works for me, and it works for him well enough to be traded for a second round pick. So, Alfred Payton's my guy, but, uh, where do you stand? Oh, dude, Payton, like you said, he looks like, like the nerdy hacker sidekick in action. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the fact that his hair actually gets in the way of what's shooting and causes him to miss shots. It's phenomenal. I love it. <laughs> like, he just, he really doesn't give a fuck. He just, that's how he likes it. And that, that's how it's going to be. Um, you know, I feel like Gordon Hayward is a pretty popular pick, but, uh, oh, yeah. but he's, you know, he's, he's a little, uh, buttoned up. And, uh, and he's still lining. So, I got to give him a demerit for that. Jeremy Lin is another one who I always like, even though he hasn't been on the court much this year. I like the way he changes it. He changes it up all the time from mohawk to dreads to braids to whatever. Yeah. Linsanity definitely is the most willing to just go from point A to point B. Yeah, uh, also, also must be mentioned that Gerald Green has had a strong last couple of years from the Shamrock in Boston to going all out for Houston when he landed there. But, uh, yeah. Elfie's my guy. All right. Uh, funny, but not too surprising. We're on the same page, knowing uh, you will enough to know that, that you'd be down for the same the same Elfie Payne style that I'm down for. Uh, second to last one, our penultimate would be the best crossover of the year so far. Uh, what's there to have for you? Well, we gotta mention this, this is the Dave West Memorial Award because um, earlier earlier this year, just called crossover. Literally sprained his ankle. <laughs> 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 um, I've got to go with some of his ankles. I'm surprised he's still intact. And that's Jamal uh, Murray crossing over Stephen Adams in the uh, Vegas window. Oh my uh, god. Earlier this month. I mean, Stephen Adams had a reputation in my mind as a guy who was an adequate switch defender. And Murray just destroyed that notion. And, you know, with a few dribbles. So the way, like, the, the distance he got him to fall back and just the awkwardness Steven Adams, who actually moves pretty deftly from being such a big fella. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, the awkwardness with which he fell and just, just, you know, the way he tumbled. It was, it was awesome. And, and obviously, very exciting three afterwards, too, so he points for that. Uh, what do you have? I, I just went, I went chalk. I went uh, Chris Paul crossing up David West. I, I scoured 
I spent a lot of time watching the supposed top crossovers of the 2017-2018 season. Uh, my guy Kyrie had plenty. Um, there was one. I don't even remember who it was anymore, but I watched Bill Vonleh get crossed over so hard that he had to change teams. He's now on the Chicago Bulls. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, at the end of the day, it had to be David West literally rolling his ankle on on a Chris Paul crossover and having to leave the game. And I had to just leave it at that. I I, I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't top it, but I'm glad you could. The Murray over Adams one was great. Um, we'll round it out with one that that I made a point for us to include because it's been a really wild year for just the NBA and how much teams have changed and players have changed and we've seen things happen at a rate where it usually doesn't happen as rapidly. So uh, to me it was important to just talk about who, who you think had the best story, had the best reporting, um, had the best single piece of news so far in the 2017-2018 NBA season. Um, for me, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I actually ended up recency bias on this. Woj scooped Brian Windhorse with the epic breakdown of the Cavs' trade deadline. Um, the Cavs had an absolutely nuts trade deadline that we haven't seen in a long time. And the, the reason Brian Windhorse is at ESPN is because he's usually the guy for whatever team LeBron is on. He's got the inside word. Um, Woj ended up taking it from him. And whatever the reasons are for that with politics at ESPN, he did it absolute justice and delivered a great piece on how those moves went down. Um, and really, even though Windhorse is the LeBron whisperer, uh, Woj is the trade deadline whisperer. So yes. it made sense for him to write it at the end of the day, and he, he really did a bang-up job. And there were plenty of other candidates, but that was the one that set out to me because he, he got it to us pretty quickly after it happened, and it really provided some magnificent insight into how a team manages to turn over damn near half its roster in 24 hours. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, mine is Gordon Hayward players to be in peace. <laughs> Whoa, baby. No. <laughs> no, thank you. to be like, man, did that 
that was just fun to read. Like, I just want to go back to certain parts. Uh, the Lou Will 2 girlfriend thing, especially, because, like, you heard about it before, but really to see him open up about it in that, it was like, shut up, really? Lee got him to talk about that? Like, that was freaking cool. So, uh, yeah, those are just two of, of, of countless, um, I honestly had to just not think too hard about that one because I could have spent hours on it. Um, yeah. So many just spectacular, top-notch journalists hanging out in the NBA right now. Um, we're very fortunate. And we're very fortunate that it was a very exciting first half to this season. And Team LeBron did come out on top tonight, 148-145. And to the victor went the spoils. LeBron took home the MVP trophy. But... We'll see what happens in the second half of the season. Right now, uh, the actual team staff looks poised to to make another strong run in the playoffs. But we've got a long time before then, so for now, we are going to sign off. We should be back with some exciting content in the days and weeks to come. But uh, for now, T-Bone, any last words? No, that's it, man. All right. For Tommy Wood, this is Sam Ruth here with the Association NBA Podcast signing off.